We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato and... We are days, we are hours away from the NFL kickoff and days away from the New York Giants playing an actual football game. It's amazing to think about considering we didn't see a preseason game. We haven't seen any real live snaps. We watched some blue and white scrimmages, but I mean, come on, folks. It's going to be crazy. I have a theory that defenses will be way ahead of offenses. I have a theory that offensive tackles specifically are going to struggle. Hopefully not the ones having to match up against TJ Watt and uh, Bud Dupree, but we'll get to that shortly. But today, in today's pod, we are going to dive deep into the matchup, specific matchups we like about the Giants and Steelers, specific matchups we're worried about. And then in the middle of that, before that at least, I should say, we're going to break down the Giants' unofficial depth chart and see what we make of that. But before we do any of that, Nick, how are you doing today, my friend? Bet the over, everybody. The defense is going to be really sloppy this week. I'm not just specifically talking about the Giants-Steelers game. I'm just talking about in general. I I would imagine that defense is where they rely so heavily on communication, especially in zone coverage. It's going to be somewhat sloppy in week one. I think the tackling is going to be really sloppy as well in week one. So I'm expecting some points to be scored in the first week of the 2020 NFL season. 
I'm actually on the opposite end of that. I think the sloppiness on defense will be there, especially with the tackling communication. But I think the biggest issue, and like I said, I think defenses will be ahead of the offenses. Like Joe Judge said after the Bloom-White scrimmage, like this is typical of early in the season because the offensive line play, I think, is going to be really, really, really bad across the NFL, especially for the teams that have new offensive lines that haven't communicated together, especially for teams that have new offensive linemen starting rookies that haven't played in the NFL. So I might go the other way with that. I actually did place a few wagers, and by a few I mean I bet the under on every game. So that's my theory. We're going to see what happens every week. This one is going to be very I took the interesting. Under, yeah, okay. and then I heard a podcast with Warren Sharp, who I really respect um, when it comes to NFL analytics, NFL thought process. You know, his entire thought process. Who actually said the opposite to bet all the overs because he looked back at the 2011 season when the lockout was happening, and actually in the first four games the overs were hitting. So that totally threw me on threw me on a you know a loop and I hope I'm not wrong, but I'm sticking with uh, my original plan. Yeah, I'm a little bit on the oversight. I think the offensive line is an excellent point, but I think defenses are just going to be entirely too sloppy with the community. I think there's going to be a lot of blown coverage, and I think there's going to be uh, more scoring than we're typically used to. So I guess we'll see. Yep, we will. But listen, Nick, we won't spend too much time um, you know, diverging onto that because we did recently get, I couldn't believe it, but I did see it, a one-star review for someone because they said, I don't want to come here. I come here for your Giants analysis, not your fantasy football analysis. We may have spent five minutes, maybe six max, talking fantasy football a couple weeks ago. So I do apologize. I really do. It's a sincere apology. You can't see me from the podcast, but trust me, this is a sincere apology. I sincerely apologize for spending six minutes talking about fantasy football. For those of you guys who don't know, there's this <laughs> there's this crazy button that you can press that skips forward. So if you don't want to listen, listen. To us there's one person who didn't like it, and there's like five people who said they want they. Like like the fantasy stuff so you know what go ahead you can be a hater if you want to spend your time going and diving in and pressing that one star review button that's your prerogative we're going to keep diving in giving you giants analysis for those who do enjoy it and we do appreciate the support from the opposite end it's way 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 more um both in the itunes reviews and and everything else and like i said and like i'll always say if you haven't done it yet please please help us grow this pod by rate, reviewing, and subscribing us on iTunes. But let's talk Giants football, Nick. And the Giants released their unofficial depth chart, and there are maybe some surprises. We'll get to that. I think that's more on the defensive end. But let's start with some of the bigger developments on the offensive side of the ball. The first is Nick Gates is listed as the starting center. It seems like it was inevitable. A lot of the uh, reports, I mean, I know beat reporters couldn't talk about these specific lineups and what was happening with first team in terms of personnel, but... You see videos kind of leak on Twitter and things, and you saw Nick Gates and his long-ass hair sitting there at the center position with Daniel Jones, and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting, and now it's finally unofficially official that he's going to be the starting center, and I think it was just trending in that direction. I was a little skeptical early on, earlier in the offseason, that he would be the starting center because I had some play strength concerns, and I think that the center position is an incredibly difficult position to just kind of adapt to when you have no experience there, but I guess that's a testament to Nick Gates. Now, now let's hope he can block this Steelers defensive line. Yeah, I think it's interesting from a lot of standpoints. The first one I want to touch on is the one you brought up last, and that's the communication that's required from a center, the communication not only with the entire offensive line, his quarterback. And I think, like you said, we have to sit back here not knowing much more than what we can see on the surface and say, listen, this is a guy who put the work in, worked his butt off, trained in the offseason, learned a position that he hadn't played, but had some snaps last year, not much, you know, in practice, and really got got through it fast and enough to the point where he's going to start week one here 
even though, you know, like you said, the other guy has had more reps. The other guy has had reps with Daniel Jones and the other guy being Spencer Pulley. Um, I think possibly the injury to Pulley play is playing a factor here. It's so tough to know. Even in the interview today that Gates had, and we're recording this on a Wednesday before the game, even in the interview Gates had with, with beat reporters, he didn't, he wouldn't even confirm he's the starter yet. You know, he kind of did the Joe Judge thing, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, and kind of deferred. But I think this is this is pretty locked in. Feels pretty locked in. Yeah, Joe Judge is fostering that environment where not a lot of players are saying a lot of things at all. I wonder how certain players of the Giants' past would have fared in this type of environment. But it seems like, obviously, it's early. But it does seem like everybody's buying in, which is a good sign. Yeah, for sure. And again, like you said, it's early. I think we need. I hope people are willing to give it time because it's not going to be easy when this team has to face the Steelers and 49ers in two of the first three games. Yeah, you also got the Rams too in there. It's, right. It's... The early season schedule is tough. I hope people are willing to be patient with Joe Judge. I like what I've seen with Judge a lot. I think this is just the type of – I think he's going to be a guy that we're going to have three to five times a year, Nick, where we're going to be like, look at that smart thing he just did. He's going to think of something. He's going to do something in their preparation – or in the matchups on a game-to-game basis where we're just like, this is something we haven't seen from Shermer and McAdoo before him. It might, you know, Coughlin had a couple of those in, in his arsenal, but not not as much. He wasn't really that kind of guy. I just feel like Joe Judge could outthink some, have, have some situations where he outthinks other teams in a way that we're just not used to as fans. Especially on game day, because the last right. two coaches the Giants had were play callers. And right. if you've ever called any kind of plays, if you ever ran play calling in Madden, you could see that that's what, intently what you're focused on. You're not seeing the broad, holistic picture of what's going on on game day. You're focusing on what is the best play at this moment. So just having that is huge for me personally. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's look at some other things on the offensive side of the depth chart. Did you make anything of Caden Smith being listed ahead of Levine Toilolo at tight end? I don't know. I believe Caden Smith's going to have a role, and I think Levine Toilolo is going to have a role. I don't really make too much of it. I think Toy Lolo's role is going to be more blocking-centric, whereas Caden Smith is going to be more receiving-centric. I think it's going to be based on the situation that the Giants' offense is. The, the situation that they're in is going to dictate which tight end will be on the field, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I do still find this whole tight end position extremely interesting for the Giants because— you know, regardless, the Giants are going to be a team that wants to set the tone in the run game. This is they're one of those teams. Even though on, I think they're set up this way, so I'm not going to say the word unfortunately, but I do believe that as you see from teams like the Chiefs, who had the highest pass rate, the highest neutral pass rate in the NFL, they're the teams that are going to be ahead of the teams that are run first. It's so just my opinion. I believe running the ball on first down is a way worse decision than passing the ball on first down. The metrics show it. It's not just advanced metrics; it's kind of just the way the NFL is set up. It's really hard to defend the pass in the NFL. Point blank. But the Giants won't be one of those teams, and that's okay because you can still be a team that sets the tone in the run game, wins the line of scrimmage, and for your specific roster, it might be a better fit. For example, the Giants right now, a team that can't really afford to have their defense on the field for too many snaps and too often, might be better off with an offense that controls the line of scrimmage and tries to just milk the clock and really win time of possession on a daily, you know, on a weekly basis. So that's what I think they'll be. So it's, so that's the why it, it why circling this all back to the tight end position, Nick. That's why it interests me the most because how I'm just curious how they're gonna get. I can see how they're gonna get Levine Toilolo on the field for sure. I mean, he's gonna be a guy who's gonna help them do what I just said set the tone in the run game be a physical team up front be a run first team like we're gonna for those of you who didn't like the pat Shermer run on first and 10 all the time offense unfortunately you're gonna get a lot more of that again i mean jason garrett last in, until he gave up play calling duties to kellen moore was one of the highest 
had the, one of the highest rates of any play caller when it came to running on first and 10. The goal, the hope, is that he won't follow in the uh, Pat Shermer footsteps and run on second and 10 a lot because that that's just a devastatingly bad decision. You, you should really never be running on second and 10 in my mind. But again, back to this. I'm curious how they get Caden Smith on the field because I can see the snaps for Toilolo, like I said, but what about Smith? And to me, he has to be on the field. The rapport he showed with Daniel Jones, his ability to to get uh, open in the in the red zone area, and basically his ability to catch balls up the seam, depend no matter where those safeties were bearing down on him, really stood out to me and were really imp- and was really impressive to me. So I think he's a really big talent, one of the <laughs> a skill position player that needs snaps. I'm still kind of curious, regardless of where he's lifted, listed on the depth chart, where when he. He's going to play Nick. I also feel the Golden Tate injury where it's not 100% clear on if he's going to play. I think we all assume that he's going to play, but he is dealing with hamstring tightness. I think in week one, we might see some 12 personnel with Evan Ingram basically lined up split out in the slot and then with Caden Smith on the line of scrimmage and then Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. I think that's something that is realistic that we may see if Golden Tate does miss the Monday night game. Now, that isn't determined quite yet, but I think that's one way Caden Smith can find his way onto the field early. But again, I think it's going to be situational. I think we're going to see both of those players in Toy Lolo and Smith, and I think Evan Ingram is going to be used in line, but he's also going to be used in the slot quite frequently as well, especially against teams with smaller defensive backs in the slot. And I think they're going to play a mismatch kind of game. I just don't think his snaps, Caden Smith, that is, it's going to be as high as it was last year, obviously, because there was an Evan Ingram injury. Right. And because you do have Levine Toy Lolo, and because you do more than likely want to establish a physical power running game, and that's something that fits Toy Lolo's skill set a little bit more than someone like Caden Smith, but maybe Caden Smith came along I think in the Bears game we saw him go up against some of the talented edge rushers guys like Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd where he actually showed a decent ability for a rookie tight end who's not known for his blocking and he also did a pretty solid job against Zedarius Smith in that matchup against the Packers now again Khalil Mack also owned him in a couple reps too but he actually showed signs of encouragement maybe he got better maybe he can find the field in those running situations as well but as of right now I think it's going to just going to be a split depending on the situation between those two tight ends it'll be interesting because like you said he showed flashes of promise as a blocker and as a complete tight end in that regard and like I said I really think he has a lot of promise as a receiving tight end. So I think they need to find a way. I think as we look, if we'll look back on the season, Caden Smith really doesn't play much. I think it will be an indictment on Garrett's first season because while they did bring in Toy Lolo and they want to set this tone in the run game, I do believe Daniel Jones is a better fit for kind of more of an offensive style that he ran at Duke and with Shermer in his first year, which is more open. There were some empty sets there. I hope Garrett has those mixed in. I really just hope this offense doesn't really bog down is kind of what I'm saying. And to me, the Toy Lolo Smith is kind of where that debate kind of rages around and centers around like I don't want to see any kind of scenario let's say example where Toy Lolo is playing double the snap Smith and again I'm not knocking Toy Lolo here I understand what he's there for but when you put a Toy Lolo on the field it signals a lot to a defense and it kind of gives away your hand in my opinion a little bit yeah no doubt I mean there's absolutely no way to dispute that because you're not going to be airing it up up the scene with Levine Toy Lolo too often <laughs> he's going to be much more of a you're playing a much more conservative style of ball when he's out there on the field and that's why he's had what three receptions or something in the last two seasons but another thing if you want to do if you do want to spread it out with daniel jones dan you have someone like damian ratley who ended up making this roster maybe freddie kitchens his old coach put him in uh put a good word in for him and he's somebody who has a bit more speed than some of the other receivers he's known more as a vertical threat now i think darius slayton is pretty equipped at that skill set but you bring in someone like ratley and if they do go 
is a 10 personnel or one zero one personnel if you want to say that with no running back imagine you would use Saquon Barkley out split out there but you might have someone like Ratley to be used with Darius Slayton to try to really stretch the field vertically and open up lanes for Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard in the intermediate parts of the field yeah no doubt Ratley's an intriguing ad by them um you remember him back in the days with A&M and he he's one of those guys who looks faster on the field even than he tested him I think he tested at a four four five but this is a guy who has that vertical speed I almost feel like with Ratley versus Slayton I do agree Slayton has the skill set in the vertical game he finds ways to win you look at that Minnesota rep he had for the touchdown against the Vikings last season it's just an awesome rep but it's less so with that kind of Marquise Brown Tyreek Hill you know beat him off the line of scrimmage Deshaun Jackson then they just can't catch you Ratley kind of has a little bit of that in his game that beat you off stack and then you're just you just can't get caught from his pure speed standpoint so it is interesting to see if he works his way into the offensive game plan at any point because it's not it doesn't seem like it's a expected right now but he does have a bit of a different skill set yeah a bit of the different skill set is something that we expected from Derek um, from Derek Dillon and Corey Coleman so and I know a lot of beat reporters were talking about it and if you kind of put the pieces together we all liked Corey Coleman a lot but Ratley offers something a little bit different than Coleman especially with Coleman's injury history so I wouldn't be totally shocked if he has a couple package plays in there where they try to take some deep shots with this kid I wouldn't either and the Coleman thing for me comes all the way back I've always you know I've been big on Coleman but and I think he made plays during, obviously, the Boone Wright scrimmages and in camp. But with Coleman, and this goes back to before you joined the podcast with Turchin, we always would discuss how for a guy who ran that 4-4-3, he really doesn't seem to get that vertical separation. He really struggled over the top in the vertical passing game for whatever reason. And maybe they see that on tape when they're watching Corey Coleman, especially coming off another injury, you know, coming off a big ACL injury. He may just not be able to get over the top. And they feel like from what they've seen on tape, and obviously Freddie Kitchens was the head coach in practice, that Ratley's a guy who can do that and he can offer that up for the Giants. And that's just so important because that's been the one of the biggest keys to that Sean Payton Saints offense that's just been so dominant for so many years and no one can figure it out it's having that vertical guy who can get over the top the knife in the defense just making sure those safeties play you differently changes everything you can do in the middle of the field in your passing game so the Giants really felt like I understand if the Giants really felt like they needed someone there because again Slayton wins in my opinion different vertical ways I know he tested really well with the 439 I don't see 439 when I watch him which is okay because he wins without running in different ways Shepard, um, Tate, and, you know, you know, Shepard and Tate, really, that those aren't guys that are really taking, the, the, you know, those aren't the knife of the defense right there, knifing, you know, knifing through the defense and forcing the safeties to play you differently, I guess. And also, you have Evan Ingram, who is just a mismatch nightmare in the middle of the field. Yes. And, I mean, last year, his dot was like six yards, average depth of target, which is really asinine when you think about it. I mean, Blake Jarwin, for instance, who was the backup tight end for Dallas, had an dot of 10 yards, and I'm hoping that is something that comes over from the Cowboys' offense to Evan Ingram. Use him up the seams, stretch those safeties, keep it, keep the defense honest, and don't allow them to really load that box and hinder Saquon Barkley from operating either out of the backfield or as a running back. And Evan Ingram, man, you put, you, what are you going to do? You're going to put a linebacker? You're going to need to put a safety on him? He's more athletic than most of both of those uh, position groups in the NFL. He's basically a receiver in a smaller tight end's body, and he's... He's definitely a weapon that has been underutilized, in my opinion, under the last two coaching staff. So I'm really hoping that the Giants can really assist this guy in having the breakout season that we've all felt like he's capable of doing, but injuries have kind of not allowed that to happen. And hopefully maybe he's not blocking as much. You don't want to set trends like we always say on this podcast, but I really just want to see him use in a more vertical 
style up the seam to control the middle of the field. Yeah, it's an excellent point, Nick. I think since the start of his rookie season, that week two Monday night game against the Lions where the Giants kind of ran that interesting play that got him open up the seam and he caught a touchdown, we've kind of been like, where is that? Because again, a guy who runs a 4-4-2 and a guy who you go back on his Ole Miss tape and he was used up the seam there. I mean, Chad Kelly, a guy who I always will never understand how he didn't make in the NFL. I've loved his arm talent. Likes the alcohol too. Yeah, I guess he's just not the mental there is, is not there, but he really utilized him well up the seam. And then two coaching staffs later, Evan Ingram still not being used in that way. You mentioned it. It's all in the proof is in the pudding. His ADOT was extremely low for a guy with a 4-4-2 speed and 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 by the way his speed it's there I agree that really in reality he's more of a second third gear speed type of guy like when you see him in that Tampa game when he's housing that ball and there's plenty of plays against Washington from two years ago where he just throws that afterburner speed on kind of the post catch speed but he still has a lot more speed than most tight ends up the seam and Garrett has a history of doing an excellent job utilizing uh the vertical seam passing game in the, the tight end so I think this could be one of the unlocked cheat codes that Giants fans should really keep an eye on that should really be counting on and looking forward to in the 2020 season it also just allows you to do so many things underneath when you have someone stretching the field up the seam it allows you to it takes the pressure off your rushing attack it allows those underneath weapons like sterling Shepard and golden tate to operate in easier situations i mean you could really put defenders into conflict safeties and linebackers into conflict when you have route combinations where that defender needs to make a decision to either drop deep which they're more than likely going to do which also allows the underneath to come yep. open if it's zone coverage so they really need to utilize that uh method which is something that i mean every coach utilizes i just feel like with evan ingram specifically was has not been done up to the manner of which it should have been under the last two coaches and that's another excellent point you just made nick because listen what have we been saying about daniel jones excellent in his rookie season against man coverage struggled against zone so find him easier solutions in zone coverage this could be one way to find him some easier solutions in zone coverage if that if they carry over the top there's going to be those open drags for Shepard and Tate and and the likes of them and Slayton obviously as well so I think that if they start utilizing that aspect of Ingram's game it's going to open so much for this offense yes I love Ingram this year man let's let's just hope it happens yeah, he's got to stay, stay healthy. healthy. It's, stay healthy Ingram bro. has to stay healthy, and he has to for himself too because he wants that second contract. This is if he doesn't stay healthy this season, he's going to turn into one of those guys. I think that just kind of doesn't get the money he's expecting on a second deal because he hasn't proven he could stay healthy. But we'll see. With there, um, only other interesting thing I thought on the offensive depth chart, the rest is kind of expected would be uh, Dion Lewis ahead of Wayne Gallman, but that also was kind of expected as well. Dion Lewis, more more so for me, I'm curious if you think Dion Lewis could eat at all into Saquon Barkley's role on third downs and hurry up offense, something like that. Because if you look at the last two seasons with Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer is just the workhorse boy. He's a Mike Tomlin. He's a he's a guy, Jason Garrett. He's a guy who just really likes the workhorse back. Um, and obviously Garrett is as well, like I said, with Zeke. So I'm curious if that changes at all with Lewis in the mix. I don't think it will be enough to piss all of us off as Giant fans. I think maybe if Barkley hits a 40-yard run, they're going to spell him, put someone well, yeah. like Deion Lewis in. Maybe sometimes on a third down when it comes to pass protection. Yeah. I could see Deion Lewis definitely being out there, but you're not gonna. We're not gonna see Deion Lewis getting like eight carries a game or something like that. No. I, I wouldn't imagine at least. But if that does happen, that would be a bit nuts. I think you got to put Parkley out there as as much as we can, which is obviously not uh, a hot take. No, no, if Barkley's not on the field, you're losing. You're you're losing a lot of value there. But if Barkley doesn't improve on the pass protection we saw from last season, yeah. then he has to come off the field on those third downs in my mind because and again I think he's going to improve so I don't think that's going to be a problem and I think the highest upside is Barkley improves in pass pro 
and then so he can stay on the field because when you take him off the field you're you're losing there but if he you know like I said though I, I will stand by that if he has those struggles he had last year he, he was really hurting the team by being on the field with those pass pro reps yeah especially against the Jets that was really really bad I mean yep. Jamal Adams had his number twice strip sacked yep. Daniel Jones twice one resulting in a touchdown those plays don't happen the Giants can realistically win that game yeah Exactly. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball on the depth chart. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contact list delivery drop-off setting. <gasps> That's great. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery as well. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. It's that simple. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE, all one word. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With the NFL Sunday Ticket.tv, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE all one word, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Giants' depth chart, or we should call it the unofficial depth chart because it's not official. On defense, it's a little weird to me, at least the way the Giants set it up. Um, What did you think of the way they did it? Because the way they set it up is they have one DN position that would be manned by Dexter Lawrence and RJ McIntosh. They have a strong side linebacker position, which will be manned by Lorenzo Carter and Marcus Golden. I can't imagine that Carter and Golden won't be on the field. Will will be trading snaps though, like that. Um, middle linebacker Blake Martinez, Tay Crowder, nose tackle Dalvin Tomlinson, Austin Johnson. So they also then have a defensive tackle position, which is Leonard Williams, B.J. Hill. Okay. Weak inside linebacker, which they have listed, is Devontae Downs, TJ Brunson. And then they have a whole other outside linebacker position where Shane Eximenez is the starter with Kyler Fackrell and Cam Brown behind him. So before we dive into the secondary, because there's also question marks there, what do you make of how they're kind of shaping up the front seven to look? I don't really pay any much attention to all of this. It might mean that on the strong side of the formation, they may prefer to have someone like Lorenzo Carter and Marcus Golden out there. But when it comes to their base personnel and the fact that they're going to run a lot of big nickel and have players like Jabril Peppers and maybe even Julian Love in some instances in the box is more how I think of this defense. I don't really pay too much attention to the unofficial depth chart and how they kind of lay it all out like this specifically. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we could we could dive into a lot of what looks weird, and, and that's fine. But in the end, I think they're going to have, like you said, like most teams have, they're playing not base on 70% of their snaps. So we're going to see a lot of 
Julian Love, Jabril Peppers, and Logan Ryan on the field together often. Oh, 100%. And in this unofficial depth chart, it has Darnay Holmes as the left cornerback behind James Bradbury. He doesn't even have a nickel, so I don't pay much yeah. attention to the— It also has Corey Valentine starting, which we could actually have to see, unfortunately. That's a realistic <laughs> That's a realistic, a realistic possibility. possibility. I don't understand what happened with this cornerback position. They poured seven picks into it over the last three years and signed a big free agent, and this is— you know, this is what happens, but I guess that's what happens when, when I, I'm sure you guys have seen the news, but DeAndre Baker's been cut. That was really not how I was hoping that situation would end. I mean, they literally just drafted this guy last year, traded two picks, and then used first-round capital. It's just, it's so hard to come back from losing a first-rounder after a, one season. For the rest, you know, for the rest of time, they cut him. He, he'll he never get another chance with the Giants, at least. Oh, um, absolutely not. I mean, that's such a black eye on the organization trading up two picks to draft a guy who... So bad. Get, and like Gettleman has said, like, there was nothing in or within DeAndre Baker that suggested he had any kind of criminal activity in his past. It's just, this ends up happening, and you just have to kind of bite the bullet at that point if you're Dave Gettleman. I mean, obviously, this kid had bad practice habits, bad studying habits, and a lot of things like that, but no one could have really predicted that he would have done what he did. It's not Gettleman's fault that he became, you know, he had a criminal offense like this. If he's, you know, alleged, who knows? I mean, obviously, the facts and stuff that keep coming out now don't look favorable for him, but, you know, when you're making a move like that and you're trading multiple picks up, you have to be right, in my opinion. You're just... That's the whole. This goes back to my whole draft talk with Gettleman and his misunderstanding, in my opinion, of draft capital. And it goes back to the Saquon Barkley pick using number two on a running back. It, you know, it's almost everything he's done using an early third supplemental on Sam Beal. Why are you going crazy in a supplemental like that? You know, the Giants were a team that was trending in a bad direction. You know, I guess he thought they could be a team that was competing, but it was a rebuilding team. That third pick, that third round pick, was likely to be top seventy-five. I would, I would, I wonder how much John Mara has to do with that because how much John Mara wanted to field a competitive team with Eli Manning and that kind of somewhat delusional thought process that Eli Manning still had a lot left. I'd love to agree with you, but you look at Dave Gettleman's history and he's always traded up and he's never traded down. I I agree with that and the fact that Dave Gettleman said that he watched, I think, the second Eagles game of that year and saw that Eli Manning still had something. Yeah, well, he, I think, might have been in on it, though I I know someone... Not going to go crazy with this inside source, but I know someone who's good friends with Dave Gettleman, actually. And I can't say, say too much of what I heard there, but I did hear that he was off on Eli way earlier than the rest that of the That doesn't surprise me Than the rest of the regime. My Maris, that was it, last year, when Eli wouldn't have been there, I don't think, if it was all up to Gettleman. Besides that, though, going back to his history, this is a guy who has never traded back and always trades up. And when you're going to be that guy and you're going to be the trade up guy, you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage in my mind. I mean, you look at, look at, all you have to do is study economics understand that the draft is a total crapshoot obviously we saw this happen with the eagles cutting a second rounder this week uh, you know we've seen plenty of early draft picks cut so because it's a draft pick you want to have more swings you want to have more chances you don't want to have fewer so when you're going to go and trade three picks for deandre baker you better be right about him you better have your conviction better be right and when it's not right and the fact that it's even possible for it to not be right shows how flawed the process is in my mind it's a difficult process, and especially somebody who has a little bit of baggage in terms of his work ethic and things like that. So, yes, I have to agree with that. But And I'm not trying to be a hater. Listen, I no, uh, I like course, some of Gettleman's picks. I think he's done a solid job on some of his player evaluations. But you're may- you can't have a flawed process. There's too many teams that have really good processes. There's too many teams that are taking advantage of you know the fact that you can trade a fifth rounder for Calais Campbell. You know, there's too many teams that are trading back in the draft that aren't loading up supplemental 
picks and trading up for this guy and that guy, understanding kind of, you know, maybe even though this guy is touched by the hand of God, he's a running back and it's two and you either can try to trade back and get him or you miss and it's a running back. It's not going to change your franchise much. I mean, Giants have had Barkley now for two years. They have, what, six wins under him? I mean, seven, eight wins. So it's like in two years. So I agree with your thesis, but it's tough. in his de- in Barkley's defense, he was hurt. Last yeah, year, but, but the Giants yeah. weren't winning games even oh, when he was not. on the field. Of so course not. Of course not. It's tough for me. I, I think he's done a better job. I always say he's done a better job than Reese, so all the haters can at least take that um, with a grain of salt. But again, as you look forward on this team, it's t- they're in a tough spot because of the DeAndre Baker situation for sure. I definitely agree with that. I think with Gettleman, it's, it's, it's been like a 50-50 thing. He's definitely swung and he's missed. He swung big and he's missed. And he's had some savvy moves and he's done some good things as well. I think it's you get kind of a, a mixed bag with Dave Gettleman. And I can agree with that to an extent. Um, I think, unfortunately, in my mind, there's more There's more of the, if you're looking at it as a mixed bag, and there have been some great moves. I think trading Jason Pierre-Paul's contract was a great move, and they got B.J. Hill out of it, an early third-round pick. I think he's had a few of those as well. I can't think, you know. Trading for Riley Dixon. Trading for Riley Dixon. I'm not going to go crazy on that. It's a punter. Yeah. I thought until last week the Ryan Connolly draft that pick, the Julian sure. Love draft pick, some of those later Love's, round picks, Darius yeah, yeah. Slayton, obviously. Slayton was a nice find. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm but I won't judge him on if the draft picks hit or not, because mm-hmm. the draft, like I said, is a crapshoot. Exactly. I will judge him on the process though, and the process of trading an early three for an impending free agent, using an early three on a supplemental draft pick with injury problems and concerns in college that no one else used the three. If you look at the supplemental draft that you're no one else used the three but the Giants on Beal. You know, and those type of decisions are the ones that and trading three picks for Baker those are the decisions that I struggle more with because it's process based I will never judge someone on results I want to judge someone on the process I agree with that now with the Leonard Williams pick I I 100% agree with you with the other two and I'm not trying to defend him I'm just trying to play devil's advocate at this time I think it was he took two big swings at a position that you need in the NFL and they just did not work out yes I just have trouble taking my process would never involve taking trading up i just if i would i've read uh, there's just too much working in the favor of trading back and it really just boils down to the main thing it's a crapshoot the draft so why are you not trying to get more swings you want more swings you don't want fewer in my mind but again he that's not how he's ever going to draft he's never going to change in that way i mean you look at his years in carolina and sometimes it works he traded up for taylor moden in the second round with carolina that was an excellent land by him you know so it's going to hit sometimes and as long as he's the gm the giants are going to be a team like that that's going to have fewer chances but hopefully his convictions are correct and his film study is correct that's the big thing if those convictions are correct and one conviction that we thought was correct was ryan Connolly. but now we look at this depth chart staring us right in the face man and there is no more ryan Connolly. he was claimed by the minnesota vikings the former team of Devontae downs and i honestly uh trying to make sense of it, it it sucks man i think the giants are going to look back on that i think it's going to piss a lot of us off because i think ryan Connolly is going to be a player for them yeah i think they they looked at it in a certain light. So we go back to our last podcast where you thought it was kind of more of just a savvy move. I was more sore towards thinking, you know, they just gave up on this guy. You know, this was it. It was See, their Joe decision. Judge came out afterwards and even said— But that's what he can say. Yeah, I mean, Joe yeah. just said, we tried to sneak him through, but yeah. blah, blah, blah. Figured. He, it's an he easy did say, thing He to did say. say he figured that he, he would get yeah, scooped Yeah, and if you figure yeah. he's going to get scooped, exactly. then why are you releasing him if you care about him? To me, what they, their decision came down to is— they wanted play players at the position who can play right now, and they wanted players who fit their new style of defense. I'm more concerned that it's so hard to find linebackers that are quality in this league, and I think they kind of landed one with Connolly, or at least they have a chance to. I mean, who knows if he'll be that? He's only had four games in the NFL, and he's coming off an ACL. Give it a little time so myopic, to see. It's so- but they 
you know, they viewed it in a different way, and, and he's obviously up the roster. We'll see what he does, because he went back to Minnesota, where he's actually from, um, and obviously played his, or he didn't play, he played for Wisconsin, but, like, it's from that area. He's from, I think, Edina, where he grew up with uh, Carter Coughlin, who played for Minnesota. That's what I was thinking and of. They went, to, they went to Eden Prairie. Right? Yeah, Eden yeah. Prairie, yeah. And, and they were neighbors, so he's back home. We'll see what happens. Mike Zimmer, that's a good fit for him, for sure. Um, and, and I'll be interested to see his career because I was a big fan of Ryan Connolly. But as far as the depth chart goes, looking at it a little bit more, are you surprised at all by Logan Ryan behind Julian Love, or is that just another thing where you think they'll both be on the field a lot and who cares? I think Logan Ryan even joked with the New York media about uh, it being classified, what his role with this defense is. I think he's going to be used a little bit outside. I think he's going to be used in the three-headed safety, big nickel, big dime kind of defenses that we've been kind of preaching about Patrick Graham this entire offseason. So I think it's going to be an interchangeable piece based on matchup. And no, I don't. I, lo- I don't look at him behind Julian Love and feel like, oh, Love's the starter over him. I think they're all going to coexist in an eleven-man yeah. defense together. That's Peppers, Love, and Ryan. And Ryan also may have to play outside if Ballantyne, say Ballantyne is the starter, goes out there. What are the Steelers going to do? What's that offense going to do? They're going to target whatever receiver is going up against Corey Ballantyne. If Corey Ballantyne can't hold up in the first two drives, I think Logan Ryan is going to be put in there to be the starting corner. And that's going to take away from whatever they want to do on the back end. But that's where you're going to need some safeties to step up or some other corners to step up because you can't have a huge liability on this defense because offenses are way too talented, way too good, and they're going to attack it. Giants fans were aware of this because we had Grant Haley as a starter on the 11-man defense that we fielded in 2019. So we cannot have that again as New York Giants fans or as the New York Giants team. Yeah, no doubt about it. I would say one other interesting note with the depth chart before we move forward to the Steelers matchup would just be the kick returner, punt returners. They have Darnay Holmesless as kick returner and Golden Tate as the punt returner. Yeah, Darnay Holmes. I I honestly didn't expect that. I'm wondering because I've heard like beat reporters talk about CJ Board possibly being somebody who returned kicks. I'm honestly not totally sure. I mean, we thought Javon Leak might be a player that could fix into this. That did not end up materializing. So. Golden Tate is the safe option as a punt returner. He's sure-handed, and he has some shiftiness in space. As for Darnay Holmes, that's something, I mean, he's a great athlete, but it's something I haven't really seen much of, so it actually does kind of intrigue me to see. But he's uh, he's not a big guy, so he better have some ball security. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be seeing too many kickoff returns anyway this season, just based on where the NFL's trended in that direction. But I think savvy teams learn where to kick the ball, and they force kickoffs. Right, yeah, that's true. That's Especially true. if you have somebody who's a smaller cornerback returning the ball, somebody mm-hmm. who's not on the offense. Doesn't go through ball security drills and EDDs every day, you know? Yeah. All right, let's turn our attention to the matchup on Monday Night Football Week 1, Giants hosting, I use air quotations that you can't see, hosting the Steelers with no fans, so that's not going to help. Um, and I believe I've been told that any every NFL stadium will allow teams to pump in 70 decimals of fake fan noise, So, but it's even across the board. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The Giants opened as three-and-a-half-point home underdogs, and that line shot all the way up to six points um, as betters kind of poured in on the Steelers. And now it's dropped, I think, back to five-and-a-half. Um, I am very skeptical of the Giants' ability to compete in this game, unfortunately. I just, I'm just i a big believer in the Steelers' defense. I believe it's top five already and will be, by the end of the year, known as the best or second best. And I just believe in the Roethlisberger comeback. I think he's a veteran. I'm not too worried about it. He knows that offense, so it's not like he's learning a new offense. Has a rapport already with Juju Smith-Schuster. Built a little bit with Deontay Johnson. Um, and then, obviously, knows James Conner very well as well. 
Now, there is one area of this this Steelers offense that actually intrigues me where I think the Giants can get an advantage where normally in this matchup they never could. And that's the offensive line. This is not your your father's Steelers offensive line. This is not the Steelers offensive line under, under Mike Munchak, who has now since gone to Denver and left the Steelers, where every year you can guarantee they were top five. Last year, they were consistent again, but they've dropped to, to the ninth, uh, ninth best offensive line by, by I believe, his football outsiders. And so... I think that the offensive line can get even worse, actually, in 2020 based on the offseason movement. Obviously, they had Ramon Foster retire. That was a big loss for them. And they're changing things over at right tackle. But in week one, I think things could be even worse for the Steelers. And I think the Giants can take advantage because surprise inactive most likely will be um, David DeCastro, who's their all-pro, you know, five-time Pro Bowl guard who's not expected to play versus the Giants now. And they're bringing in a new right tackle to play, Zach Banner, who, you know, is a project for the most part. So they're going to have Project Zach Banner at right tackle. They're going to have Stephen Wesenewski, who was a great signing by them, but again, still a career kind of journeyman. has been on five or six different rosters by this point, starting at right guard instead of DeCastro. They obviously have Pouncey in there. Um, and then Matt Feeler, I think it's Feeler or Feller, Feeler at left guard, who, again, not really an elite left guard. And then obviously Andrew Villanueva, one of the best left tackles in the NFL for sure. So they do still have Villanueva and uh, Pouncey on this team for sure. That's that's impressive. But that right side of that line looks like ripe for the Giants to maybe take advantage of in this game. I agree. I mean, Zach Banner, kid from USC, incredibly long arms. A lot of people kind of wrote him off. Uh, he seems like a really uh, awesome kid. I got to like not really interact with him too much now at the Senior Bowl, but I saw him down there at the Senior Bowl. Seems like a really bright and cool guy. But you're right, man. Him starting with Steven Wisniewski, I mean, how much have they worked together in practice? I think Wisniewski is, at least on the depth chart on our lads, is listed as a backup left guard. And the backup right guard is Kevin Dotson, but they're actually going to, who's a rookie. But they're actually going to start Wisniewski because he has the experience there on the right side. And I'm not sure about how much communication or how much how much did the Steelers know that David DeCastro wasn't going to play in this game or did they think he was going to be ready or whatever's going on with him? So there could be liabilities on the right side of that line with Banner and Wisniewski and maybe the Giants pass rushers if Lorenzo Carter did actually take the development and, sh- and kind of plays to the level that somewhat to the level of what he played during the blue-white scrimmage, the Giants can actually get some pressure on Big Ben or if the Steelers offensive line maybe struggles to block as well the the big bodies that the Giants do have. That could be a matchup that the Giants might be able to win. It's just can the secondary cover the receivers long enough to allow the pass rush to beat guys like Banner and this offensive line. Banner, for one, I mean, he has incredible length. So if he just pushes, if he can, you know, establish the inside part of a pass rusher and just use his length to kind of push the pass rusher up the arc, it's going to take a little bit for that pass rusher to dip and get around and to corner the quarterback. So, say, if Corey Ballantyne's out there and he can't cover, say, Deontay Johnson, is Deontay Johnson just going to win in less than 1.5 seconds so Big Ben can hit him on a quick timing route to keep moving the chains? This is one area, though, you're right, that Giants may have the upper hand if Wisniewski and Banner struggle early on in this game. Yeah, I think it's not just the pass rush that intrigues me because I do believe that if the Giants are going to win this game— and this is why I will be more optimistic than I originally was now that I know about the Castro being ruled out, now that I know about what's going on with that right tackle situation. It's that they're going to have to force some turnovers from Ben Roethlisberger, either via strip sacks or errant throws. But on the flip side of that, I think 
they could actually have a shot in this game. I really do believe it with this retooled offensive line that wasn't as effective, no longer as Munchak, all of that included, to control the line of scrimmage with Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Blake Martinez coming in behind them, and specifically in the run game. If they can shut down James Conner in this run game early, because remember, this Steelers offense, while they do throw, like to throw the ball a lot with Victor, they want to base that offense out of the run game with screens to Conner and short passes to Conner and a lot of running with Conner. And if they can stop that early and force a lot of third and longs and force Ben Roethlisberger to really have to open it up in his first game back, I think they'll have a shot. Now, that leads me to my next thing. Even if they do control the line of scrimmage and get to those third and longs, is it going to be a repeat of the 2019 Giants defense, where a lot of the time, the Giants forced teams into third and longs and then completely blew it on third and long? Just devastating. Now, how could that happen? Well, the only way it will happen is if, like you said, Banner does a good job of limiting uh, Carter or Golden, whoever's on that side. Villanueva does his usual thing and shuts down the outside pass rush. And now we have matchups like Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot against Darnay Holmes, maybe. Or, you know, and maybe the Giants won't do that. They'll try to counter with Julian Love or something like that, or or Peppers, whatever they want to do there. But then you also could potentially have Eric Ebron on the field, who I actually think is a really good signing by the Steelers and would be a super big mismatch for the Giants in week one. On the outside, Deontay Johnson, a lot of speed, a lot really good at creating separation. Can Corey Ballantyne hang with him? Or are they going to put James Bradbury, a bigger guy on him, who I think kind of maybe makes more sense to, to you know guard James Washington when they're in 11 personnel? So I'm really a little bit worried about just the matchups in the passing game when the Giants do get the third and long and the pressure. That would be my bigger concern. I think the Giants are going to have a really good shot, though, to control the line of scrimmage in the run game. That's something that we're all hoping for as Giants fans. And you look at the Giants' depth chart, too. Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, Dexter Lawrence. Those are some big boys. And those are not easy guys to block, but I can expect the Steelers to use a lot of outside pitch, maybe not just pound the A-gaps with those big bodies in there. They're probably going to try to get to the outside, get the Giants defensive line to move horizontal to create cutback lanes for someone who has good vision like James Conner so he can cut back. But this year, Blake Martinez is much better in those situations in pursuit than someone like Al Gogletree. So maybe Blake Martinez can mitigate the success of the Steelers' outside pitch game, wide zone game, outside zone game, because I know the Steelers like to kind of go wide like that, as well as go on the inside, but I think they would have better success, kind of like what the Cowboys did in Week 9 against the Giants, uh, Leonard Williams' first game with the Giants when they just used wide zone and outside zone and just stretched them so far horizontally that Zeke Elliott just cut them up. To get to the second level, I could see a similar tactic from the Steelers' offense to try to do that to the Giants' defense. But hopefully, the Giants' second-level defenders can fill their run fits in a timely manner to not allow James Conner to really break away. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think again, I still believe the Steelers' offense wants to base itself through Conner, through the run game, through the screen game with him. So they could give themselves a chance on defense with that. I'm gonna flip it over to the offense side of the ball now, where I might be a little bit more worried. To be honest, Nick, this is what really, if I'm bearing down why I think the Steelers, unfortunately, are a good bet at minus three and a half and even at minus five and a half, it's it's this matchup, man. I just, I'm so nervous about this Steelers defense that I think is just so damn good. I mean, this team, this defense broke out last season once they got, uh, once they got Minka Fitzpatrick in a trade and once they drafted Devin Bush, who they traded up for. And both were just unbelievable last year. And then off the edges, the Giants are going to have to deal with T.J. Watt, a borderline defensive player of the year candidate, and Bud Dupree, a really, really good edge. That's better than anyone the Giants have. And that's going to be those two guys matched up against Cam Fleming and Andrew Thomas on every rep after we just saw Andrew Thomas struggle with his first live reps against Lorenzo Carter. 
it's it's super worrisome to me. A hundred percent, man. Uh, I, this is why I think the Giants are going to lose the, the matchup is because I'm not a hundred percent sure how the offensive line is going to be able to slow this pass rush down. I mean, the Steelers led the NFL last year with 54 sacks. There's a reason they did that. T.J. Watt is one of the most underrated players in the NFL, and people still give him the kudos that he that he. He, they still give him a lot of kudos. Like, he's not somebody that nobody talks about, but I still think he's underrated. And then you have Bud Dupree, who they brought back, who's in a contract here. And Cam Fleming, I feel like he's adequate on the right side. I like Andrew Thomas, but this is a primetime game. And I'm a little scared that Andrew Thomas might get beat for, like, three sacks in this game, and then he's all, all the people are going to come out and just start bashing him, calling him Eric Flowers 2.0, hmm. which is going to be disingenuous to this kid. He's put in a tough spot. He had an un- untraditional training camp and he's thrown into prime time against one of the best defenses in the league in a new offense where everybody's kind of learning the offense obviously going to be not as advanced as Jason Garrett's offenses when he had years with the said team because this training camp has been weird and Daniel Jones is still learning this offense it takes a while to learn an offense but I really hope Jason Garrett comes out tries to run the football in creative ways, tries to get Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley into positions where they can have the football in their hands with space, create space for these really talented playmakers, and I hope that he just gets the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands quickly. Have quick, simple reads, get the ball out of your hands, and do not allow your tackles to get abused by these pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, you're onto something there. The, the challenge for me, for Garrett, is this. You're going against a team that really doesn't give up much in the run game. And so you want to establish the run game. You want to control the clock. You want to limit potential turnovers. But how do you do that when they're stopping every run for a negative play? Then you say, okay, let's pass the ball. We can look to have quick plays that get the ball in space. That's their best option. But that's really easy to defend against if you're never challenging down the field. But you want to challenge down the field. Well, now you have to deal with Steven Nelson, a free agent they signed last offseason, one of the best free agent signings they made, and Joe Hayden, two lockdown coverage corners in my mind, who are going up against a receiver trio in the Giants that struggled to gain separation last year. You look at NFL Next Gen stats, Daniel Jones had the least separation of any, I think he had either the least or the second least separation of any quarterback from his wide receivers as a collective group. So now you're matching up a group of receivers that didn't get that much separation last year against two lockdown corners in my mind, or at least very borderline lockdown. Minka Fitzpatrick roaming back there. (laughs) Devin Bush in the middle of the field doing whatever the hell he wants. He could stop the run every time the Giants want to, or he can just blitz. And again, it's it's scary to me. I just, I really struggle to see where the Giants are going to move the ball in this game unless they open things up, and then that gives them a really high chance of turnovers. That'd be awesome if they can come out in the first drive and open up and, and kind of surprise the Steelers yeah. defense with a deep pass to kind of keep the Steelers defense on their toes. I'm not overly confident with it. I know the Steelers run a lot of big dime, big nickel kind of packages. So basically they'll have like three, four defensive back safeties out there roaming around with Devin Bush as the only linebacker. And sometimes in short yardage situations, they'll bring in Vince Williams as well to be the other linebacker. But you'll see Minka Fitzpatrick out there with Terrell Edmonds, Stevie Nelson, Mike Hilton, Joe Hayden. I'm not sure if Sean Davis, who they just signed again, they drafted him back in the second round of 2016. He was released by the Washington football team. I'm not sure if he'll have a role in this game, but you're going to see Terrell Edmonds, who's a big physical safety with long-ass arms. He's the brother of Tremaine Edmonds, both drafted in the first round back in 2018. And I think about Daniel Jones, man. He's going to have to know where Minka Fitzpatrick is at all times, pre-post-snap. What's he doing? Where's he rolling? who's his coverage responsibilities because that's the kind of playmaker on defense that you, I don't want to say want to fully avoid, but you need to know what he's doing. And 
you need to do that with T.J. Watt going up against a rookie or an adequate veteran starter in Cam Fleming, and then Bud Dupree going up against a rookie or an adequate uh, veteran starter. It, then you still have Cam Hayward in the middle, Stefan Tuitt, solid run defenders who can create some pass rush ability if they really need to. It's just, I don't know, man, this defense is is a top defense for a reason, and this is a young offense, man, that could, hopefully they won't be rattled in this. I'm not optimistic, and I, it could be bad on prime time. I really hope it's not. I though. think the best bet they can do here, honestly, even though it's going to look ugly and it's going to lead to a lot of punts early on, is, is have a ball control a ball control style approach for this game. If I'm the Giants in this matchup with my rookie tackle out there and with my Cam Fleming on the other side against this defense and with those corners, I'm probably just going to have a ball control style offense and try to hope to win by beating that Steelers offensive line on the other side of the ball. You can win a tough, gritty, gross game if they win the turnover battle here and they, you know, it's not going to be pretty. To me, it's the only path to victory, though. I don't think they can afford to try to open things. I mean, I'm okay with what you said. Try a deep pass early on. Yeah. A, a quick, divine, you know, divine read, five-step drop, not seven, and maybe off a play action where it's just obviously going one one spot. But even there, you're putting yourself at risk, I believe, with Minka Fitzpatrick roaming back there for sure. But regardless, I think they should really try to do their best to limit the turnovers and make this game ugly because... That, they're not going to win a game if they have to get into the gun early and often with Jones against this pass rush with those with that with the rest of that defense because yeah, yeah that defense is pinning their ears back too you yeah. need to do something to slow them you down slip screens quick passes mm-hmm. little quick uh, route combinations to the outside halfback draws something that we've seen in the Giants pass and I've complained about but it's a good way to slow down pass rushers who are trying to win around the edge man just run right through the B gap it's just like okay you guys you want to come up field that quickly we're just going to run the ball and pick up six seven yards hopefully but you can't do that consistently it's not really sustainable so you just the Giants are going to have to be on their toes with their play calling they need to adapt to what the Steelers defense is doing and they need to uh really get the ball out of Jones' hands quickly. That's that's yeah, my main thing. You're right. It has to be more of a Pat Shermer-style game plan than what Jason Garrett probably wants to do. But I think as counterintuitive as it is to what I've preached throughout this podcast, I think this game, if the Giants are going to win, is actually going to be on the defensive side of the ball. As crazy it sounds, because most games they're going to win this season are going to be on the offensive side of the ball, You know, taking over, scoring, converting their drives, and, and, and holding the ball and keeping defense off the field. But I think there is a small slither of a crack and a crevice the Giants can break through against the Steelers offensive line that will once again be without David DeCastro, which is huge, huge, and a new right tackle in and a new left guard, not a new left guard, but a left guard I'm, I'm still kind of eh on. Three new starters for, or three new players for Ben Roethlisberger that he hasn't played with. Communication might be an issue. So to me, I know they might not have the talent it seems on paper, but I really like what they have on the interior defensive line. This could be a game where the defense, if they just have a few really, really big plays. Remember that Patriots game the Giants had last year, middle of the season, Thursday night football? They almost won that game, weirdly enough. They were in the game all the way into the fourth quarter. Why? Because they had a strip sack fumble recovered for a touchdown on defense. And in general, the defense played really, really well. That's the style of ugly game I think they need to beat the Steelers team. Special teams, too. Yes. Yeah, because in that that game, there was a didn't chase Winovich block a kick and return it for a touchdown like you need to be on your toes when it comes to your block your field goal block your punt block and you also need to take advantage of any kind of special teams mishaps that the Steelers 
might have. I mean, Mike Tomlin coached teams in the past. They've gone into situations where they were favorites and they have lost. It's something that this Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin combination has done in the past. And Ben Roethlisberger hasn't seen live reps in about a year. So that's another big part of this that gives the Giants a chance. There's always a chance. These are professionals out there in football. It's just my main concern is TJ Watt, Bud Dupree against Cam Fleming and Andrew Thomas. And that's something that's going to be hard to overlook. But like you said, man, if the Giants can be opportunistic, anything can happen for sure. Right. Just limit those reps of, you know, pin their ear back reps. Limit those pin their ear backs, TJ Watt. You know, and even Bush and Minkovitz Patrick are flying around the field and can get in that backfield on a pass rush. So limit those ops. Keep the game ugly. Have a few, few big special teams and defensive plays. And I think they have a shot. But... I'm just a little concerned they can do all of that. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, of course, yes. And a lot of that is you're kind of banking on, on on plays that might not happen. But I think for the, in order for the Giants to win this football game, they're going to need one or two of those kind of plays to break their way. Yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. All right, guys, that's all we have for today's show. For those of you who weren't listeners or fans of the Big Blue Banter podcast last offseason, we're going to try to do exactly what we did last season, and that's a quick reaction pods or quick takeaways right after the game that's recorded, and we'll go up ASAP after the game as soon as we're done editing and recording. And then in the middle of the week, as we always do, the key staple of this podcast will be we're both going to dive into hours of the All-22 film take notes individually compare our notes and then break down the giants pass game on all 22 while giving a small preview usually it's mostly an all 22 review um and then a small preview of the next game so keep it locked and loaded on the big blue banter pod because we got big things coming have a great rest of your week and we'll speak to you soon the wait is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in the action at bet online BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get it on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. That's all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.